The following episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language, disinformation, questionable concepts, and, a big warning here, the voice of Clive Palmer, but only a little bit. Tuesday, the 8th of February 2022, the summer series continues with yet another trip down the wombat warren of conspiracy theories and disinformation. Ah, you love it, don't you? Joining me once more is Elise Thomas, a freelance journalist and open source intelligence analyst with the Institute for Strategic Dialogue. Now they're all about finding solutions to extremism, hate and disinformation. Well, today we're talking about the Convoy to Canberra, which is happening right now. Thousands of protesters have made their way to the nation's capital to to do something. Uh, Marching, I guess. Speeches. There are speeches. Uh, But do they have the dedication? As soon as the cameras come out and they start taking selfies, the crowd just loses momentum, uh, which is great. We'll hear how their demographics skew old people who don't have a lot else on and own a caravan. So you get a lot of grey nomads. And are there really quarter of a million people camped out in Canberra right now? Some of the the estimates of, of the crowd sizes are so, so delusional. This is the 9pm epic Convoy to Canberra explainer or maybe confuser with Elise Thomas. A sea of protesters swarmed Old Parliament House in Canberra today to oppose COVID vaccinations. It comes as pressure mounts on the federal government over its failure to handle the growing pandemic crisis in the aged care sector. Old Parliament House was packed with protesters, supported by rebel federal MP George Christensen and the equally controversial Craig Kelly. Irrespective of what you think about the vaccines, you have to admit people deserve freedom to make up their own medical decisions. They called it the Convoy for Freedom. A crowd of thousands gathered in Canberra to oppose COVID vaccines. The protesters have been set up here outside the National Library in Canberra for several days now. Um, We're told that they are planning to be here in Canberra until at least the 8th of February. Parliament is sitting this week, so uh, the plan was that people were coming from all around Australia. Some of the uh, protesters have moved to Exhibition Park in Canberra, which is uh, a permitted uh, camping area here in Canberra. Um, But we will wait to see... uh, over the coming hours where all of these protesters are moving to. Elise Thomas, welcome back to The Edict. Hey, thank you for having me. The convoy to Canberra, where did, where did this come from and, and does it connect to the convoy to Ottawa in, in Canada? I mean, I wouldn't say so much connect as kind of is loosely inspired by it. Um, so, you okay. know, like over the, the last couple of weeks, we've sort of seen the build-up towards this, this protest that is taking place in Canberra right now. Um, which started with the idea that it was it was sort of loosely inspired by the um, truckers' protest, which is taking place in Ottawa, um, but has since sort of evolved um, over the past week or so as uh, it seems very few truckers have actually turned up, almost no actual trucks. Um, and so now it's sort of a sort of <laughs> the, the, the freedom protesters on holiday edition. You know, they've been camping out in the Canberra showgrounds down there at Epic for about a week now, um, and it's sort of turning into this sort of, bad music festival vibe where they all camp together and then periodically go out to harass people. And that's sort of what's going on um, up until up until this point. 
That is bizarre. Now, the freedom stuff, that's the anti-vax freedom protesters, no vaccine mandates, um, no lockdowns, all of that, although there aren't any lockdowns currently. Yeah, it's, it's freedom in air quotes. In the past, we've seen some of these protests infiltrated, or not infiltrated, uh, co-opted, I think is a better word, uh, by far-right players, sovereign citizens, all of that. Is that the case here too? Um, look, so I, I find this this kind of fixation on the far-right that you get in a lot of the media quite frustrating. Um, yes, there are far-right okay. elements there. There are far-right elements there, but they are they are a minority. They're not in control. Um, I don't think we should like. I don't think we should be naive about the threat that the far right poses in terms of co-opting this movement. But at the same time, I don't think we should give them credit for having more influence than they actually have. Um, and so, you know, you'll you'll get and this happens, for example, in Melbourne all the time. You'll get um, one or two well-known neo-Nazis will attend a protest, and then you'll get a bunch of you know headlines talking about you know neo-Nazis have co-opted the protest. So, no, they just turned up. Uh. They were like, you know, 15 people in a crowd of 15,000, you know. Um, so, like, yes, there's a far-right element there. Um, the sovereign citizen element I would separate a little bit from the traditional far-right. They are, I wouldn't say they're so much co-opting the movement as they are very much a part of the movement. Like, co-opting sort of implies they've come from the outside and taken it over. The sovereign citizen element was always there. Um, it is getting, I would say, much more, I mean, it was always, it was always, pretty strong um but it, i think it particularly in these protests it has really come to the fore uh, and sort of started to, to drive a lot of the action that is actually taking place for example things like protesting at old parliament house instead of actual parliament house because um under like a sovereign citizen conspiracy theory which is too stupid to go into um they believe that old parliament house <laughs> is the true parliament house of the people um, and so when they go and protest there, that's that's why. It's the conspiracy theory that's driving them to be at old Parliament House, which is a museum, rather than new Parliament House where the politicians they're protesting are. So, it, yeah, it's been really interesting. Now, Dr Kaz uh, Ross down in Tasmania at the University of Tasmania, uh, she told the New Daily just recently, the sovereign citizens give you a legal framework, the pedophile accusers give you your mass appeal and the Aboriginal rights protesters give you an authenticity. Is that a, is that a fair comment? I mean, it's not, it doesn't cover everyone there, but that's, that's three of the core themes, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I, like, I, do think, I do think that's a, a really interesting way to look at it, to think about sort of what are the, the elements which each like, part of this protest bring, bring to it. Um, yeah, no, I think I think that I haven't heard that quote before, but it is a good it is a good quote and a good way of way of looking at it. I wouldn't I, like I without having you know heard the full quote. I, I suppose I mm. having just heard that part, uh, I wouldn't frame it as necessarily intentional, as though like they went out and looked for like this will be our legal framework, this will be you know our emotional driver, this will be this this will be that. I think that it's kind of like mushed together in quite an organic sort of a way. Um, but yeah, I think that's a good way of looking at. it. Mushed is a great word for it. In fact, that quote's from a, a, a big piece in The New Daily today, which which goes through all the lists and it lists everyone from the anti-vaxxers to the sovsits to the sovsits who've decided to fly Aboriginal flags and, and that's a co-opt, I think, of the Aboriginal TED uh, tent embassy. Doomsday preppers, Clive Palmer supporters, conservative Christians... And, and yes, truckers supposedly, but very few trucks. 
Uh, it's an interesting list. And I like uh, the fact I saw a tweet today uh, from the Canadian one, which is the trucker's convoy, pointing out that it doesn't seem to be very representative of Canadian truckers uh, who are South Asian heavy, lots of Sikhs in turbans, and worried about things like wage theft. Yeah, I, I think that totally applies to, to our protests here as well. I haven't heard any many, like, truckie-specific issues coming up. No one's sort of arguing for better access to, like, public bathrooms for, for truckers, like, you know, like those kind of issues that would directly affect truckers. Not hearing much of that. So looking at, I mean, it sounds very chaotic, but a few people uh, have become prominent leaders is perhaps a bit strong. You've described Graham Hood uh, as the self-declared spokesman for the Canberra protest at Epic Exhibition Park in Canberra. Now, here he is speaking to the assembled crowd the other day. Today, Johnny Larder and I had a very, very lengthy and educational conversation with Chris Yulman from Channel 9 the political editor in Canberra, and he likes what we're doing. And he likes what you're doing. And so do Fox, because they contacted me for an interview. Okay. Now, Chris Yulman said the budget for TV these days with the big, the big ma- mainstream media it's him and a cameraman, that's it in camera. And he said, we're flat out with the house coming back, you know, all the, all the politicians coming back. And, uh, but he said, this is what you need to do. You need to have a crisp, clean message. All your people need to be really disciplined because if you do that and you have a crisp, clean message that's short and sharp, you guys will win over the Australian public a lot more than you think, okay? Because a lot of the people that are sitting home watching My Kitchen Stinks <laughs> instead of standing here in Canberra in their real family. Those, those people, <laughs> um, we need to present a message to them that has them think when they see it on TV and they're going to see our message. They're going to see my message. When they see that on TV, they need to say, oh, they're not rednecks. They're not Fruit Loop conspiracy theorists. What they're, what they're asking for is fair and reasonable. I want that too. There's there's quite a bit to look at there. First, first Graham Hood, who is he? From what I, what I know off the top of my head, he's a former Qantas pilot who resigned over the vaccine mandate issue. Um, he's made some references um, at the rallies to sort of a lot of the conspiracy theories around paedophilia. Um, but I haven't looked enough in enough detail into um, either his background or which of this like weird stew of beliefs that he has himself expressed to sort of um, want to talk about him in a lot of detail. And yet in that clip, we can hear that uh, people are giving him quite a bit of respect. So, so Graham Hood has sort of assumed a, a leadership role um, within the protests on the ground in Canberra. He, as of uh, I think yesterday, has appointed himself the spokesperson um, for this group. Um, and I think is. Uh, like, a, a, as you heard in that clip, is is really thinking about how to position this movement and try to put a, an acceptable public face on their demands to sort of um, stop them from saying the quiet part out loud um, and sort of like, like make a make a respectable <laughs> version of, of the protests. What is that quiet part that we can't say out loud? Well, it's not that quiet. Um as you'll see from uh, – there was a clip also that I put on, on Twitter yesterday where somebody else took the microphone off Malcolm Roberts 
um, and started talking quite using quite violent language about sort of going into Parliament House and cleaning it out. Um, that's the quiet part, and they are saying it out loud. Um, and so that's the challenge that Hood has is to to try and keep that sort of stuff off the microphone. Um, so yeah, it's it's tricky. Um, but I think I think that I think it's a really good illustration of the tensions that that there are within this movement. Um, in that I think you you have sort of they may be sort of mm, vaguely aligned on what they want out of this, which is that they have this the they want the vaccine mandates removed. Um, a lot of them seem to have united around this idea that there's a like a secret list of elite pedophiles and they want that released, but they have like um, differing ideas about how to get there. Like some of them are seem quite committed. Some of them, like Graham Hood, like to his credit, seem committed to doing it at least in a peaceful way. Um, and that's like they are absolutely, to be clear, they are completely entitled to peaceful protest. That's a really important mm-hmm. democratic right. It doesn't matter whether it's fueled by weird conspiracy theories or you know true conviction or whatever else. They are 100% entitled to protest peacefully. Um, and then you have other wings who are increasingly frustrated with the lack of progress as they see it via peaceful protest and are uh, more and more willing to to escalate to other forms of, of potentially quite concerning violence. Um, and so those are kind of the two two forces you have at play um, on the ground in Canberra, I think. We heard, uh, and here's another clip, uh, this one's from Sunday morning from uh, someone on Twitter with the handle Lizard Humanoid, so that's a, that's a whole thing. Uh, but this is Sunday morning when, when microphones were being taken from one person to another uh, to work out what uh, would happen next. History shows in order to make any change, and when we want to make a big change, we're not just asking for no more vaccines, we're asking to sack the government. We can't do that. Right now, we're like 1% of the population, if not 2% here today. We are right now a minority, and we've been a minority for two bloody years. Five million stops us from being a minority, and we become 20% of the country. I really apologise about this, everyone. Um, Look, there's some people who are on the beat with all of this, and we were having a meeting today to update things. Um, The politicians are actually coming into the airport today at 12 o'clock. We need people there. This is from Richard, who's looked it up, who's been in contact with everyone. And then Parliament's starting to sit tomorrow and Tuesday, Wednesday. We're having meetings before any of you move. I'm sick of it. You go and move out of this campsite this morning to the airport, it does nothing. People think you guys have your shit sorted and you move to that campsite and they're like, oh, cool, feet on the ground, we're getting it sorted, awesome, we're going to win. Hang on, I understand this, but if you guys today can all get four people, tomorrow we can raid Parliament with potentially two million. There you go. Today at an airport with 50,000 people does nothing. Stop overriding plans, I'm sick of it. Everyone that wants to take charge needs to be in one spot today to organise a plan. That's what we're doing. You're not, because we're not aware of it. Let me finish what I'm saying. Because we haven't put it out yet. Who are you? Well, there's a group of people. There's multiple groups. Everybody stop. All right, so 20 million, why we need it? There you go, a bit of a disorganisation here, guys. Uh, we're watching uh, just uh, some uh, organisational issues. Uh, well, that seems uh, 
chaotic. There, there really isn't any leadership as such here, is there? There's no, there's no even semi-formal uh, movement. Yeah, honestly, I think I think they need a talking stick. I think they need less megaphones and they need a talking stick. Um, but I think like the the interesting dynamic, like I said earlier, like the, that camp at Epic is really just giving like bad music festival vibes, where nobody's quite agreed on on what's kind of acceptable behaviour. Um, and so we've seen a lot of sort of um, you know live streams and stuff of, of some of the behaviour that's taken place at night. Like there's been a lot of drinking. There's been a lot of sort of um, you know kind of just just generally being sort of rowdy quite late at night and. The interesting thing about the demographics in that camp is it really skews quite elderly. Um, or older, maybe, is the, the softer way to phrase that. You get a lot of people who, you got like this, this, this kind of divide between like who is actually there during the week. Um, and there's a lot of people who are like people who don't have a lot else on and own a caravan. So you get a lot of grey nomads, like a lot of people who, who can, you know, just go down to Canberra and camp for a week. And like this whole, pro- this whole movement across, um, you know, across all of the cities, the anti- anti-lockdown movement does skew um, older, uh, like sort of, you know, a lot, you get a lot of people 40s, 50s, 60s. Um, and I think this camp is particularly old because it's people who don't have to go to work during the week or don't have kids who need to go to school during the week. Um, so you have, the, that's the majority. And then you also have like a small group of younger, I'm using younger in a relative sense, so still like 40s-ish, um, who are there because they're just very committed to, to making something happen and are sort of uh, also having a bit of a good time, like just having a little bit of a party. Um, and so that obviously breeds tension when these people are camping together for a week under, you know, probably relatively unpleasant conditions. I wouldn't want to sleep in my car for a week. That would make me cranky, and it's clearly making them cranky. Mm, clearly. Uh, now, one woman there said that, you know, they've got 1%, maybe 2% of the population there. Uh, well, look, 1% of the population would be 260,000 people. Uh, they don't have that there, surely. No, but they believe they do. Like the, some of the, the estimates of, of the crowd sizes are so, so delusional, like like just gobsmackingly, like even even for, for people who, who believe the kind of conspiracy theories that, that, you know, members of this group believe are just, just gobsmacking. Like there, there are people who think that there were 200,000 people who showed up at the protest um, on Saturday. Uh, which is is ridiculous. Like they're, they're, clearly there were, I, I think the lowest estimate I've seen, I think the official estimate was something like 2,000. There was clearly more than 2,000. Um, but I think the more reliable estimates or the ones that, that seem most reliable to me having watched a lot of the footage is sort of somewhere in the five to 7,000 mark. But, but uh, 200,000 <laughs> is like, whew. but a lot of them genuinely That's think it. it. Uh, oh, dear. Now, Graham, Graham Wood, just going back to him, he he claimed there that uh, Nine's chief political reporter, Chris Ullman, had uh, given them some advice. Do you think that's true? I have no idea. Uh, this is the claim that, that Graham Wood has made um, and I haven't seen whether Ullman has come out and commented on it either way. No, he hasn't at the, at the time of recording. What I suspect... Um, this is purely, you know, I have no information either. But they, look, they probably made a phone call to Chris Ullman at some point and, uh, and tried to uh, get him to come and do a story. And Chris Ullman probably politely said, well, look, it's just me and a cameraman, so you better have a clear message or I'm not, you know, I'm not coming down there. There's a lot happening in Parliament this week. And, and that's perhaps 
blown out into the concept of support in his mind. But then he did seem so very certain about it. I guess we'll see. We did note that Chris Ullman has told the Australian that he plans to quit Nine later this year because he's uh, he's expressed his displeasure with Australian journalism. Ironically, he's a key part of Australian journalism, so don't know what's happening there. Do you care to comment? Um, no, Chris Ullman's career is sort of outside of my area of expertise. I, I, I will say, like, I... <laughs> so that's a this- very diplomatic answer. This, this movement is a movement which is incredibly hostile to the media, uh, is incredibly aggressive to journalists who come to their protests. Um, and for that reason alone, I think any journalist who was giving um, under-the-table support to this movement, I think their colleagues would be, like, totally justified in having some pretty serious questions for them. Yes, uh, particularly as another name of an organiser in that sense, uh, James Greer, who is a doomsday prepper, according to the Nine Papers. He was arrested. Oh, he goes by the name of Ironbark Thunderbolt, which is amusing. Very traditional bushranger name, that. Uh, he was arrested on Friday uh, after he, the, the cops found what they, they refer to as a loaded modified rifle in his vehicle and also the vehicle was declared uh, unroadworthy and uh, things like that. Uh, for those uh, who care about such things, the modified rifle, uh, I have identified that with, with some people uh, from the photographs of it, as a sawn-off Winchester model 1904-22 rifle uh, they were manufactured up to 1927, uh, but they're a typical uh, uh, early 20th century single-shot 22 rifle, the sort of thing used either for sporting, for target shooting, or for maybe shooting rabbits on a farm or something like that. Uh, very roughly sawn off, very common sort of granddad under the bed turned into defend my property stuff. How typical is uh, the implication of violence in this? Because you mentioned uh, we do have this, you know, some want to storm Parliament House and take it over, well, well today, uh, so we'll see how that goes. Others less so. Yeah, I mean, so I, I still think um, having... So I, I was quite concerned last uh, Monday, I think, that we were about to see, like, a budget January 6th. Uh, in that sort of moment, I don't know if you've seen seen the footage of it where the crowd, it wasn't a big crowd. Um, it was, you know, maybe sort of 500-ish people um, pushed right up to the doors of Parliament House. And like I said, it wasn't a big crowd, but there were a very, very small number of police officers there. There was this thin little, like, one-person deep line of police officers pressed right against the door. And if the crowd had wanted to go in, they could have gone in. I'm, I'm sure they could have pushed through that line and entered. Um, and, like, luckily the momentum of that crowd stalled and they started sitting around in a circle holding hands and chanting and taking selfies and stuff. As soon as the cameras come out and they start taking selfies, they, the crowd just loses momentum, uh, which is great. Um, so we, we avoided that. And that, um, I think, is the, the most concerning moment I've seen in terms of mass mobilisation from this protest. Um, beyond that, what they've been doing is actually very much the same thing that they've been doing, particularly in Melbourne, for months um, which is they get together, they march around, they wave a lot of flags, they listen to some very kooky speeches. Um, half the crowd is clearly bored out of their heads with the kooky speeches and then they walk home. Um, and so I think uh, in terms of like the, the risk for violence from these Canberra protests, I think, again, it's, it's a similar thing that we've seen recently where the real risk is not so much from mass mobilisation as it is from 
potentially one or two individuals or a very small group um, doing something stupid and, and sort of mobilising themselves and, and taking some sort of individual act. Uh, the other big risk, obviously, is just that they're all in carts. Um, so, you know, if you're having like a stupid protest on foot, it's quite hard to accidentally hurt someone. Um, if you're having a stupid protest in cars, it's very easy to have like particularly like hundreds of cars driving around in a city they don't understand doing dumb stuff, um, like the blockade at the airport and like all of that sort of a thing. Like, it's quite easy to have some sort of an accident. It's quite easy to accidentally hit someone. It's quite easy to like block emergency vehicles. You might block somebody in an ambulance and stop them from getting to the hospital. You can cause a lot more um, havoc and, and harm even accidentally. Um, with a vehicle protest than you can like with a pedestrian protest. So I think those are the two risks. Mr Greer, however, has also raised, well, more than $170,000 on GoFundMe, the crowdfunding platform, uh, with with him as the beneficiary of this money. Now, GoFundMe, to the credit, has said, we'll, we'll just suspend that until we can find out exactly how this money uh, is going to be spent, given that it's all just going to him. Are there any other, well, uh, I don't want to defame him, are there any other things which have the potential to be scams happening around this? I guess one point to make is it's difficult to know exactly what's happening with the money on the ground. Like we can only see what's happening on social media and I'm sure there's a lot of discussions um, and stuff happening behind the scenes around what's happening with the money, who's putting in for what. Um, clearly there is a certain amount of money going into this protest. Like they're, you know, they're giving out free breakfast. They're like, you know, doing a lot of like they're hiring uh, speakers and, and doing all of sort of the logistical stuff that happens around big protests. All of that does cost money. Um, they're certainly asking for donations um, all the time, all the time asking for, for donations from people and it's not super clear um, to whom those donations are going or how it's being accounted for. Um, so, yeah, like there's there's definitely financial aspects of this which are pretty shady uh, and I think which will probably introduce more tension into that group as people start to ask, like, where is my money going? Um, you know, we've seen like, you know, just, just yesterday I was sort of looking at um, a crowdfunding campaign on uh, there's a platform called give send go which like touts itself as like a christian crowdfunding site but it's very popular amongst like the far right and conspiracy theorists because they don't take anyone down for anything um well i think if you tried to like launch like a you know lgbt rights campaign they might take that down um uh, <laughs> yes. uh yeah but like like just as even as as i was looking at it it sort of disappeared and i don't know whether that's because it was removed by the site which seems very unlikely, frankly, because they're still raising money for like the the Ottawa campaign, or if that person just 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 took the money and whiffed off into the distance, like you know, like so yeah, definitely, definitely the donations question is a really significant part of this. Well, uh, speaking as we are of uh, dodgy fundraising, maybe that's the the perfect moment to take a break and do the housekeeping. Uh, well, then, let me tell you about uh, some of the episodes coming up in the next few weeks. Now, uh, these are in no set order yet, and, of course, all this is subject to changes as people's schedules change and the world unfolds because the world's just a silly, silly place. As you know, uh, at some point we're going to be talking uh, with Dr Space Junk, Dr Alice Gorman, about the work she and her colleagues are doing with the International Space Station as an archaeological project. I really am looking forward to that, but they're kind of they're kind of busy right now actually 
doing the work. Uh, we will see the return of hexagon enthusiast and uh, digital rights tragic Justin Warren. Uh, we're going to talk about something, well, it, it sounds Oh, it sounds tedious if I say that we're going to be talking about the Richardson Review, a.k.a. the Comprehensive Review of the Legal Framework of the National Intelligence Community. But there's some very interesting things buried in that, and, you know, we'll get distracted. And I am also pleased to say that someone who I'm a bit of a fan of, his podcast anyway, David F. Porteous III in in Scotland. Uh, he's an author. His uh, latest novel is The Wicker Man Preservation Society, which came out last year. A podcaster, a great podcast called Cheerful Despair, which... Uh, it's been a while since the last episode, but he's a busy man. Uh, he's a social researcher, and he bills himself as a karaoke superstar. I, I don't know whether that's necessarily true or not, but that's coming up. Um, and then in March, looking ahead to the Autumn series, I have already penciled in the wonderful Evelyn Durick. She's a, a lecturer in law. She is originally an Australian. Uh, she now lives in the United States where she's at Harvard Law School uh, and uh, other places. And she also um, writes for Lawfare. She's on the Lawfare podcast. And she, in particular, uh, produces... Uh, or is one of the presenters of uh, a sub-series called Arbiters of Truth, all about information, disinformation, content moderation, who decides what does and does not go on the internet and what is and isn't true. Really looking forward to that. That's uh, some way off. Now, as you know, all of these uh, podcasts are made possible by you, the generous listener, so thanks very much to you. Uh, this episode and the next three, it's still thank you very much to all the people who contributed to the 9pm Summer Series 2022 crowdfunding campaign. Now, today... I want to thank all of the people in the middle part of the list because there's quite a few of you who bought one trigger word and, you know, do remember to send in your trigger words and I'll put them in the glass jar of transparency or you can uh, suggest that your trigger words be used on a specific guest. Uh, and that means it's thank you to Andrew Kennedy, Andy T, Chris Hill, David Porteous. Oh, David Porteous, there you go. <laughs> it's it's like a robberous of or, or a human centipede of podcasts, I think. Gavin C., of course, who's a regular contributor. Ian Kath as well. James Mardell, Jonathan Ferguson, Yoop DeVitt, Julia DB, Carl Sinclair, Father Carl, hi, Father Carl Sinclair, Kimberly Heitman, Mark Newton, uh, Michael Strasser, Mick Fong, of course, Paris Lord, Paul Williams, Peter Blakely. Peter Blakely again because he bought two trigger words separately for some reason. Peter Sandilands, Pete Sandilands, yes. Peter Vertel, you don't have to be called Peter. Uh, you'll be called Philip, like Philip Merrick. You could be called Rick Heyman. You could also be called Scott Reeves, Shane Perris, Sil Mobile again. And one person who chooses to remain anonymous in that list, thank you all. If you'd like to join them, please go to, well, not, in, in terms of being part of that campaign because it's over. Uh, but if you want to throw in a tip, go to the 9pmedic.com slash tip or just tell your friends or just enjoy the podcast. I don't care either way. 
but you know, money, money, money is very, very nice. The nine pm edictcom slash tip. Elise, I want to go back to uh, Canada for a moment uh, and the uh, convoy there. And a guy called James Bowder, B-A-U-D-E-R, founder of Canada Unity, and uh, he's he's kind of seen by many as, as the creator of this convoy that's been occupying Ottawa for, for more than a week now. I, I want to go back to read some things he wrote the first ones, uh, they're all from about December 2020, so uh, more than a year ago now. Uh, he's been joining the dots, and uh, he, he this is a, a long piece, but I, I will read the whole thing. Uh, James Border says, To clarify with Bernie Fire um, emojis, one, the Chinese biological laboratory in Wuhan is owned by Glaxo. Two, Glaxo owns Pfizer, who manufactures and produces COVID-19 vaccine. Three, Pfizer is managed by BlackRock Finances. Four, BlackRock also manages the finances of the Open Society Foundation of George Soros. Five, George Soros serves the French AXA, a French multinational insurance firm headquartered in the 18th arrondissement of Paris that engages in global insurance, investment management and other financial services. Six, George Soros owns the German company Winterthur. Seven, Winterthur built the Chinese biological laboratory in Wuhan. Eight, Wuhan biological laboratory was bought by the German Alliance. Nine, German Alliance has Vanguard as a shareholder. Ten, Vanguard. Vanguard is also a shareholder of BlackRock, which controls the central banks and manages about a third of the global investment capital. 11. Vanguard is a major shareholder of Microsoft, the property of Bill Gates. 12. Bill Gates is a major shareholder of Pfizer, which manufactures and sells the miracle vaccine. 13. Bill Gates is the largest sponsor of the World Health Organization. Now, add up how much is being made by the above globalists. Tens of trillions! Exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. Throw in the carbon tax credit schemes, more trillions, throw in, doing everything in their power to wipe out Trump if they win hundreds of trillions. Clear enough for you now. Follow the money. Uh, Good heavens. He also says in another post, and again, I've linked to the full things, uh, that he thinks uh, World War III could start as soon as February 2021. Well, he's a year late, rather. Um, And then in a thing which he says, again, all this from December 2020, After many years and countless hours of research, us so-called conspiracy theorists have put pieces of a huge puzzle together and eventually began to see the bigger picture of how the world worked and the undeniable corruption involved. And since then, we've been waiting for one big event that would shake our sleeping friends awake. It talks about 9-11, then on to covid and uh, something, something, media illusion, White House, deep state. And he finishes by saying, you either want the Great Reset or the Great Awakening. Hashtag rise up. James Bowder there. You want either the Great Reset or the Great Awakening. So what does he mean? Oh, gosh. <laughs> okay, so, so there's Or is a- that just too hard? Uh, well, so those are both kind of massive conspiracy theories. Obviously, the, so the Great Awakening is kind of linked to 
QAnon uh, and sort of it, like he's sort of like derived from this like QAnon idea of like there will be a great awakening the scales will fall from everybody's eyes they will see this you know terrible satanic pedophile plot um, and you know they'll bring in bring in the military and it was never very clear what was meant to happen after that but there'll be a happy ending this and general general Michael Flynn is related to that isn't he the uh, retired American general yeah I mean the the whole Somehow. the whole like you know cast cast and crew of of QAnon so you know Donald Trump Michael Flynn. Um, you know, they, they, they've got like a whole wide cast of characters um, who will lead us to some version of the promised land. Um, right. But, yeah, no, so, so Klaus Schwab basically gave, gave a speech talking about the Great Reset post-COVID and how sort of, you know, the, the global world order would change. And obviously, you know, as soon as you say, they say comments like that, people say, oh, it's the new world order. Um, there's a, you know, sinister, sinister uh, cabal yes. of shadowy bankers um, who are trying to, to you know, drive us towards um, some sort of dystopia, um, which, I mean, you could, you could you know, there, there, there's elements of that which are perhaps not true, but we can talk about global capitalism another time. Um, so yes. the, the, the comment about, like, <laughs> are, you, are, you, are you for the Great Awakening or are you for the Great Reset is essentially, like, are you on our side for the Great Awakening or uh, are you with them for the Great Reset? Right. Right. Yes, there's so much to explore. We have, of course, explored uh, some of these issues on previous episodes of this podcast, and as usual, I'll link back into articles and all of those things. One interesting development I find uh, in the Australian one is the the more uh, obvious upfront participation of politicians. Uh, Josh Butler at The Guardian uh, was was saying uh, yesterday that uh, Craig Kelly, uh, leader of the United Australia Party, uh, he plans to speak, uh, but he also said, this is Craig Kelly said, that it's Clive Palmer's United Australia Party that is putting on the food and drink for protesters and perhaps did the sound system or will do a sound system later in the week. So that might be where some of the money comes from. And then... Senator Malcolm Roberts from Pauline Hanson's One Nation. He, of course, is is up there on the podium. Um, uh, how do you see their involvement? How does how is this shifting? What it means? Yeah. So, I mean, initially, the you know one of the selling points of this this Canberra protest was that it was going to be apolitical because it, over the past couple of months, like I think um, the you know air quotes freedom movement. Um, a lot of people have started to get very frustrated with how political it's becoming. Uh, ahead of the election, we see all this jostling from the minor parties from who is going to get this vote, um, whether it's the UAP, whether it's One Nation, whether it's the Great Australia Party, which is Rod Carleton's group. Um, uh, so, yeah, so we, we are sort of starting, starting to see this jostling. I don't know if you've looked at any of like, the, the footage of protests um, in, in Melbourne and Sydney recently, but they are starting to look like UAP rallies because there's just so much UAP merch. Like everybody is like you know, wearing yellow. Uh, I, saw, I saw a guy in a cafe, like, uh, after a protest in Melbourne just the other week wearing a UAP hat. Um, there's just, like, merch everywhere. Uh, it's just a sea of yellow. And there, there are people who are starting to really resent that. Um, and so, like, the original pitch for this this Canberra protest was that it was going to be apolitical. Um, and then we've seen over the past, particularly over the past couple of days, like, they've all come out of the woodwork. Um, all of these sort of minor parties are here getting involved with this group. Um I think Clive Palmer actually, no, uh, I think Craig Kelly, sorry, was initially scheduled to speak at the protest last week and his appearance was nixed at the time because there was a real backlash. 
Um, but obviously he now feels that, 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 you know, the time is right for him to get involved, particularly if he can offer them something. And what he's offered them is the idea that they will be allowed to go into Parliament House and, like, present their list of grievances. <laughs> yeah, I, that again is an interesting one because we, I know the Parliament House uh, people themselves, the House uh, as, as an institution, is very much on the side of everyone has the right to come and see democracy in, pro, in, in progress uh, and to see how it happens. But at the same time, well, they, they, they have COVID-19 lockdowns and visitors aren't allowed in at the moment or no public tours. Oh, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, this is this is one of those things where, like, absolutely they are entitled to protest. Um, they are entitled to access Parliament House under the same rules as everybody else. Uh, and so, you know, if there are COVID-19 rules that mean that, you know, that, that apply to other people, then they also apply to these protesters. Um, but they should absolutely be allowed to do whatever it is they're allowed to do within within the framework of the rules that apply to everybody. Mm. Absolutely. Um just on on Craig Kelly and United Australia Party, I, I will mention that I, I do watch a lot of uh, short videos on YouTube and currently about every, like one in two, maybe only one oh, in three, but it feels like half of the videos have a UAP ad in front of them. Yeah, no, it's it's inescapable everywhere. Like right right before we jumped on, on this uh, podcast, I put on some music and the first thing I saw was, Clive Palmer's face just popping up in front of me, which is an unpleasant surprise first thing in the morning. Um, yeah. So, like, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's inescapable. He's got billboards all over Melbourne. Um, yeah, it's he, he must be spending a ton of money um, on advertising. Oh, it's, it's amazing. And, and for those of you, uh, uh, you know, living under a rock or, or not in Australia, because I'm sure you're not seeing these, this is the, the kind of thing we're being barraged with. Australia needs you. Let's work together to save our country. We want freedom, freedom, freedom. Join the United Australia Party now. Authorised by Craig Kelly for the United Australia Party, Brisbane. Freedom, freedom, freedom. Freedom. I thought a 15-second ad was about all uh, we could cope with today, but, yeah, we're, we're getting barraged with these. And, in fact, uh, Mumbrella has reported uh, just today that... Clive Palmer's United Australia Party has topped the list for digital advertising spending uh, for the month of January 2022. Clive, uh, by their metrics from Pathmatics, Clive has spent $5.046 million, $5 million on digital advertising alone. That's not counting the billboards. That's not counting newspaper ads. Uh, and also, uh, I should mention that the other top five were Foxtel uh, with 4.86 million, Shopify, the uh, how to build a, a shop website uh, company, 4 million, and Uber Technologies, uh, three point call it 3.8 million that's across uh, all of their things like uber eats and uh, uber cars and whatever uh, and then menu log with three and a half million uh, well at least wrapping up this this main part of the conversation how do you think all this will unfold um i mean look it's 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 hard to say like i don't want to make any firm predictions like i said my my general sense up to this point is that it's pretty similar to what's been happening in Melbourne. And so I sort of suspect that 
a similar thing will happen is is that they will they will go to Parliament House today um, and on the weekend and they will chant and they will wear flags and they will have weird speeches and then they will go home. Um, so I, I, I suspect it's you know it, it's going to continue more or less in the same vein that it has been. Um, but as I said, like the the real risks you know and other are those two that I mentioned before it is like an individual or a small group takes some sort of radical action um, or that there's just some sort of massive prank with these cars that, that, that you know like leads to somebody getting hurt um, I think those are the sort of my two main concerns yeah I guess uh, my take on it and I don't want to make any predictions either but I guess the two paths are it it will ramp up into this into some kind of conflict or what I suspect is more likely, they'll eventually get bored and go home. Finally then, Elise, uh, I have been asking every guest on the podcast for about the last six months, ah, the forthcoming federal election. And I have been prefacing it by uh, listing the sports bet odds because, you know, betting markets are, of course, the ultimate source of all wisdom and knowledge. Uh, they're not, kids. Um, bet responsibly or at least bet amusingly. Um, the, the odds, the price that sports bet has been offering was a few months back, about even between Labor and Coalition, it flipped back and forth perhaps about $1.90, $1.85 for the win on either side. But over the weeks, it's just steadily uh, been getting more and more confident about a Labor win. Last episode, it was down through $1.50 to about $1.40. And now, as we record on the morning of the 8th of February, the odds have narrowed all the way down to $1.32 for a Labor win. Coalition blowing out to $3.25. Is the market right this time? Uh, look, I think anybody who's putting in a bet on the election this far out is a fool. Like the only, the only f- like firm bet there is you're going to lose your money. Um, so I mean, <laughs> it's 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 just too far out to know. I think, um, and particularly when you sort of look at what happened in the last election, where everybody was sort of really gung ho that Labor was going to win, and was astoundingly wrong. Um, yeah, I, I think it's just too soon to say. Well, it's going to be an interesting few weeks ahead and we'll see a lot more of Clive Palmer. But uh, on that lovely note, Elise Thomas, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, no worries. Great to talk to you. Well, to wrap things up, um, a quick coda, an appendix, an addendum. Three things have happened since we recorded that conversation just a few hours ago. Uh, first, the sports bet odds for a Labor win have slightly lengthened from a dollar thirty-two to a dollar thirty-five. Okay, not a big difference. It's still certainly not the dollar ninety it was just a couple of months ago. Uh, two. Or secondly, I should say, to be uh, consistent, the latest essential polling was released today, which shows that uh, the citizens are less angry with the federal government than they were about the COVID stuff, for whatever reason. So that may have been one of the factors affecting uh, those betting odds. And three, a, a story which appears to be broken by big rigs, magazine, uh, Australia's number one uh, media source for the trucking industry and obviously something that uh, uh, I read cover to cover every, every week. 
or month or whatever. I don't know. I'd never heard of them before. Anyway, they are reporting that that GoFundMe campaign uh, that was uh, under a cloud has in fact been shut down uh, following failed attempts at getting some sort of clarity over how that money was going to be spent. $179,000 will be refunded to the supporters. Uh, The event's fundraising page, which was organised by Ironbark Thunderbolt on behalf of West Australian truck driver James Greer, uh, was vetted by GoFundMe's trust and safety team before being taken down for violating its terms of service. Probably just by not explaining where the money's going, which, when you think about it, is is fair enough. Well, dear listener, that's all the edict for now. Uh, if you'd like to support the pod, go to the 9pmedict.com or just tell your friends. Uh, I've already told you what the plans are for uh, the, uh, the coming episodes. Uh, so until then, I'm still Garyan. Wash your hands. The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.